Let us pray. Our great God and our loving Heavenly Father, you are holy, holy, holy. You are altogether other, altogether different. You were there before the beginning of time, before the beginning of space. In the beginning, you were already there, the eternal God. And yet you have created us in your image. You have created us capable of relationship with you. You've created us for yourself, that we might know you and dwell with you. Thank you for that great gift of being like you and yet so unlike you as being creatures. Father, uh, through this week, we have uh, been distracted in so many ways, we've taken our eyes off of you, have been filled with worries and fears and problems, have been filled with ourself. And we gather here today to remind ourselves that we are not God, but that you are God. And to remind ourselves that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture, and that you are our good shepherd. So we pray that you would reveal yourself to us, show us as you really are, and that we might see you. And that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your great gift of sending him into this world to be the good shepherd, to be the one who lays down his life for his sheep, that we might be brought back to you into fellowship with you. We thank you for the life that you give us in Christ. We thank you for his faithfulness to you, to tread the path that you laid out for him all the way to the cross and lay his life down there to those who abused him and scorned him and rejected him. And thank you that you vindicated him in resurrection and have exalted him to glory, enthroned him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and so we acclaim him as our King this morning. And thank you for your spirit that you've poured out into us to mediate your presence to us to be Emmanuel, God with us. And we pray that your spirit would empower us to live the sort of lives that are well-pleasing to you, to transform us from what we used to be, self-centered, and transform us into those who are focused upon you and the Lord Jesus Christ and are filled with love for others. May we be and become the people that you want us to be. Father, as we gather, uh, we do so in uh, many different states of mind and heart. There are those here who are filled with joy, and we rejoice with them. There are those who are filled with fear and anxiety, those who are mourn um, and lament, and we share their pain. We thank you that you are a God who sees. Uh, you see our situation each one of us is in and are able to speak the right word. So we pray that you would comfort the weak, and the oppressed, and the sorrowful, and that your spirit would move among us all and draw us closer to you. And Father, as we look around the world, we see much that is not right, much that is wrong, much that is opposed to your purposes. And we, uh, but we've, as we've read and sung this morning, your steadfast love is faithful. Your faithfulness endures of generation after generation forever. So instill in us again the confidence that you know what you are doing and your purposes will come to fruition and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. 
and pray that you give us the eyes to see what it is that you are doing and the willingness to be available to you and to be instruments in your hand to the good of the world and to the good of our neighbors, to the good of our friends, to the good of our church community. So Father, we gather here as your people to bring you our praise and our worship, to claim you as our God, to claim the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and to seek your spirit moving among us. Be pleased to do so. Meet with us here and fill us that we might be full of life, your life, lived out in our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, well, good morning. Thank you to Josie, thank you to Bernard, and uh, welcome to all you youth. Glad you're in here with us today. Good morning to our online crew. Good morning to everyone. Um, it is great to be with you today and to share with you some thoughts about one of those most famous texts, John 10, the Good Shepherd Discourse. We will spend two weeks in chapter 10, this week and then two weeks from now, um, talking about shepherds and sheep. And I'm always amazed at how the language of shepherd and sheep still connects still connects across cultures, across generations. Even in our hyper high-tech world of the Bay Area, the image of shepherd and sheep has not lost its captivating power. Now, I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania, there I am, and we had a lamb. And uh, my sisters confirmed this week that we did name him Lamb Chops. <laughs> So I guess I was a bit of a shepherd at one point, but I don't think I was a very good one at age eight. But the image still grabs us, doesn't it? This image, shepherd and sheep. Even if we've never actually seen a shepherd with sheep. We see flocks of sheep around, but we don't really ever see a shepherd, do we? Still the most popular psalm is what Josie read there, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. In John 10, Jesus comes along and says, I, I am the good shepherd. It's another audacious claim from him. But in making this claim, it means that those who follow him are sheep. How do you respond to be calling a, being called a sheep? <laughs> when I used to teach this to junior hires years ago, I would ask them, um, 
what animal would you most like to be? And no one said sheep. <laughs> and it's probably for good reason. Sheep are known to be creatures of habit. To a fault, they've been known to walk down the same path over and over again to no food, even though there's green pasture right next to them. They've been known that if one jumps, they all jump. If one goes over the cliff, they all go over the cliff. They've actually been known, I didn't know this, they've been known to fall over with their feet uphill and not be able to right themselves. So they die. <laughs> it's called casting. And they've been known to freeze to death right next to a shelter. Yes, sheep are famously known to be helpless, easily distracted, easily lost, and very needy. Indeed, they, they really can't be independent because they can't sustain themselves. They can't find life for themselves. And for that reason, I never heard one junior hire say they wanted to be a sheep. Lions, tigers, eagles, even giraffes. <laughs> never sheep. And yet I think all of us know down deep, we are more like sheep than we are lions, tigers, eagles, or giraffes. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we believe that you had John write down this amazing chapter about you, the good shepherd. And now in your grace and in your mercy, will you make this text come alive in our lives such that we may follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, once again, it is helpful to hear the context for John 10. Last week in John 9, Jesus healed a blind man at some point after the Feast of Tabernacles. But do you remember how that chapter ended? It ended by the Pharisees casting the healed blind man out of the synagogue. Here in John 10 then, John tells us in verse 22 that we have moved to the Feast of Dedication. Now, many people saw the Feast of Dedication as an extension of tabernacles. And on the calendar, they're only three months apart. So we are somewhere between tabernacles in a fall and the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication brings in the shepherd's sheep imagery. So let me explain that. What is the Feast of Dedication? Well, we call it Hanukkah. When my children were little, they always wanted to celebrate Hanukkah because it was eight days long and Christmas is only one day long. <laughs> now, as I've said, these Jewish feasts were a time to remember what God had done in the past and renew hope for what he would do in the future. So what are they remembering with the Feast of Dedication? Well, a short history lesson. It won't be long, youth. Just a short one. In 170 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes, a Seleucid king, took over Judea. And he tried to eliminate Judaism. Okay? 
A couple years later, his soldiers attacked Jerusalem, killed thousands of Jews, and then desecrated the temple by sacrificing pigs within its sacred walls. Now, what is even worse is that during this time, two of Israel's shepherds, two high priests, Jason and Menelaus, actually went with Antiochus Epiphanes in desecrating the temple. Here were two of Israel's shepherds deserting God's flock in their time of need. And at this point, Judas Maccabees and his brothers show up. They lead a revolt against Antiochus, and they win. It's unbelievable. They win. So they rededicate the temple. Now, during this rededication, it is said that a miracle occurred. A candlestick was lit with enough oil for only one night, but it stayed lit for eight nights. So that's why Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, is eight days long. Now, because of the betrayal of those two shepherds, Jason and Menelaus, Ezekiel 34 becomes a main text read during the Feast of Dedication. Do you know Ezekiel 34? Ezekiel 34 is a famous text of God's indictment against Israel's shepherds. So let me just read a few verses for you. This is God talking. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Yikes. Quite an indictment against Israel's shepherds. But at the end of Ezekiel 34, hope is renewed. So they would read the whole chapter and it would have what they're remembering, but also this hope. And God speaks at the end of 34, he says this, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered. So the Feast of Dedication remembers those historical events, but also renews hope in God, the great shepherd, returning someday to rescue his sheep. And now we're ready to read our text today, John 10, beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. 
This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Well, Jesus begins this famous chapter with a parable about true and false shepherds. There are different kinds of shepherds, and we need to understand their characteristics and how they interact with the sheep. Jesus begins by highlighting four distinguishing characteristics between true and false shepherds. Number one, entry. A true shepherd enters through the gate of the sheep. False shepherds, of course, enter a different way. Number two, relationship. A true shepherd knows the names of the sheep, and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. There's a relationship there. However, a false shepherd would not know the name of the sheep, and the sheep would not recognize the voice. William Barclay reminds us that in Palestine, sheep are raised primarily for wool. So this means that sheep stay with the shepherd for many years, allowing the shepherd time to know each sheep personally. In fact, shepherds, true shepherds, will give special names to each sheep, like lamb chops. (laughs) And when called by name, each sheep responds by following wherever the shepherd goes. So even if there are more than one flock all together in a sheepfold, One shepherd will go off to one side and will sound his peculiar call and one by one his sheep who know that call will go to him. Meanwhile, another shepherd will go to the other side and sound his peculiar call and all his sheep, their heads will pop up and they'll start walking to his call. There's a relationship between a true shepherd and the true sheep. Number three, leadership. A true shepherd will safely lead the sheep out of the pen. Meanwhile, false shepherds, they enter through a different way, not to lead the sheep out, but it's to steal or wound the sheep. And number four, position. A true shepherd will lead from out front, and the sheep will follow. So shepherds don't prod from behind like driving cattle. They're out in front. So Jesus, the true shepherd, doesn't stand behind us encouraging us to go on. He goes out front and says, come, follow me. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now here, we probably get the least remembered I am statement of Jesus. But it's an important statement. He says, I am the gate. So what does he mean by that? Well, in that time period, there were two kinds of sheepfolds, a cave and a pen. If the flock is out in the hills, the shepherd would find a cave for safety. A cave obviously has three walls, but an opening. And what what about the opening? Well, the shepherd would lay down as the gate. And if he is laying down as a gate, the sheep now have security. 
They are now protected from anything getting in and from accidentally wandering out. So that's one enclosure. The other one is a pen. Listen to this story. The explorer, Sir George Adam Smith, was traveling in Palestine one day, and he came across a shepherd with his sheep. So he began talking to the shepherd. The shepherd showed George the pen into which the sheep were led at night. It consisted of four walls with an opening to get in. George said to him, so this is where they go at night? Yes, said the shepherd, and when they are in, they are perfectly safe. And George replied, but there is no gate. The shepherd replied, I am the gate. Now this shepherd wasn't a Christian man. He was simply speaking from a Palestinian shepherd's point of view. George looked at him and said, what do you mean by saying you are the gate? And the shepherd said, well, when the light has gone and the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space. And no sheep ever goes out but across my body, and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the gate. Jesus says, I am the gate. We are safe and secure with him. Now later on, Jesus will say, and I give eternal life to my sheep, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If we are his sheep, no one will ever snatch us out of his hand. We don't need to be afraid. No one, no one or nothing will get us and take us. Nothing has the power to remove us from his hand. We are safe and secure with him. Now to be clear, Jesus here is not promising his followers an easy life with no trouble or no problems. He's not promising that no wolves will come. Wolves might still come, and they might snarl at us. They might even take a bite out of us, but the wolves will never snatch us out of his hand. Not even the worst wolf of all, death itself. The good shepherd will never desert his flock not even in the valley of the shadow of death. Indeed, he becomes all the more personal in the valley. See if you agree. Have you ever noticed the shift in pronouns in Psalm 23? The shift in pronouns from third person to second person, from he to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then the shift. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the valley the shepherd's presence becomes even more precious, even more personal. There is no greater security 
We are held in the hand of the I am, in the hand of the one who laid down his life for us. And nothing has the power to snatch us out of his hand. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, as we all know, if you've been in church for any length of time, verse 10 is a pretty popular verse. There's a lot of popular verses in this text. Um, I'll come back to verse 10 in a moment, but in verse 11, we finally hear, I am the good shepherd. Over against those selfie shepherds from Ezekiel 34, over against those betraying shepherds, back with Antiochus Epiphanes, and over against those religious authorities in chapter nine who cast out the formerly blind man. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Impeccable timing again. And four months from this feast, at the Passover feast, at the exact time that the Passover lambs are being offered up on the altar, the good shepherd will offer himself up on a cross. I think we can paraphrase Jesus' great claim like this. I am the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34. I have come to feed my flock to seek the lost, to bring back the scattered, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to heal the sick. The hope you're celebrating in this feast, for God himself will come, that God himself will come to be your shepherd has been fulfilled, and I am the fulfillment. I am the good shepherd. Now the word for good here is not the typical word in Greek. The word used here is kalos, which means even more than simply good. Jesus isn't just a skillful and efficient shepherd. He's the kalos shepherd, which means more along the lines of noble. Noble with a sense of loveliness, kindness, graciousness, Jesus is the noble shepherd. He will not betray his sheep. Out of his great love and commitment, he will lay down his life for the sheep. And now we go back to verse nine. It is in his death that abundant life becomes possible. How? Well, we don't have enough time to go into all the ways, but let me give you a few ways. It is in his death that sin, evil, and death are conquered. He sets us free from sin and evil by paying the ransom price. We are free indeed. He conquers death, which means we no longer need to be afraid of death. As Hebrews says, by his death he breaks the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. 
The grip of death is now broken and we no longer need to fear it. But also his death sets in motion the outpouring of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit which abides in his sheep. The Holy Spirit, the very presence of the life of the living God with us and in us. As one writer says, the Spirit is no lover of dull conformity and repetitive ceremony. Instead, he is ever animating and ever revitalizing. Through the Spirit, the tired places are renewed, the broken places are healed, and the places of despair are filled with hope. Yes, the Spirit Jesus, through the Spirit, nourishes us and leads us in and out to the green pastures so that we will not be in want. As King David prayed so many years ago, yes, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep promises an abundant and flourishing life for us, to us who cannot sustain ourselves, who cannot find life for ourselves. He promises to give us all we need to be fully human, fully alive. But there's more. Jesus goes on, and he goes on to describe how deeply personal he really is as the good shepherd. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Well, shepherding in the first century was hard work. Shepherds would therefore hire others to help them. And these hired workers were generally viewed negatively because they were working simply for pay. There was no personal connection with the sheep. As Jesus says in verse 13, they care nothing for the sheep. In a hired worker's eyes, the sheep were expendable. And because they were only in it for the money, a hired hand would simply save himself from any threat. Therefore, at the moment the hired worker is required, is the exact moment he fails to perform. Now, apparently, enough shepherds had trouble with hired hands deserting the flocks in the first century that Jewish law laid down very detailed regulations for these workers. <laughs> for example, if just one wolf attacks the flock, the hired hand is obligated to defend the sheep even with his own body. But if two wolves attack... 
This is an unavoidable accident, and in this case, he is permitted to run for his life. <laughs> That's actually in Jewish law. Um, Jesus never runs for his life. Even when two or more wolves attack, even when the Roman soldiers attack, even when the Jewish Sanhedrin attacks, he doesn't run for his life. It's because he's not a hired hand. He's the true and noble shepherd. For us sheep who cannot sustain ourselves, who cannot find life for ourselves, he cares deeply for us. He cares deeply for us. He knows the sheep and the sheep know him. Jesus has a deeply personal and intimate relationship with the sheep. A relationship as intimate as his relationship with the Father. Now in these verses, Jesus makes his good shepherd claim again but this time he changes the pronouns. He doesn't say that the good shepherd lays down his life. He says, I, I lay down my, my life for the sheep. It is because Jesus knows his sheep personally and is committed to them that he lays his life down for them. Jesus, the good shepherd, desires the kind of relationship with you and me that he and the Father have. And there's no more intimate relationship in the entire universe than that one. That relationship has existed since even the beginning of the world and it will exist forever. And Jesus says that, that is the measure of the intimacy he desires with all of his sheep. He is the deeply personal shepherd. Well, now we get the response, verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So our text today concludes with the positive and negative responses from the religious authorities. Regarding the negative, this is the fourth time in the gospel that Jesus has been accused of having a demon, all in the last three chapters. But, it's left what, what, it, but what's left unsaid is what draws our attention. These false shepherds say what Jesus is not, but they never make an attempt to say what he is. Regardless, there's a growing intensity against Jesus. And indeed, we are heading to the good shepherd giving his life for the sheep. So what do we learn from this text? Well, the obvious themes center on shepherds and sheep. And we learned a lot about our good shepherd, Jesus. He's the gate who provides access, safety, and security for his sheep. 
As the good shepherd, he desires to have a personal, deeply personal relationship with the sheep. He leads his sheep from out front, inviting them to come and follow. Come and follow him to new and lush pastors, to an abundant and flourishing life. And because he is good and his steadfast love endures forever, he will lay down his life for the sheep. But what do we learn about the sheep? What about us who want to be lions, tigers, eagles, or giraffes, but are really sheep who can't sustain ourselves and can't find life for ourselves? What about us? Well, I think this text raises many important questions for us to consider, to reflect upon as we move into our weeks. I want to leave you with three questions that are up there on the slide. Number one, who am I following? We all follow someone or something. Who am I following? Is it the Good Shepherd? Number two, what voices am I listening to? What voices hold ultimate authority in my life? Can I discern the good shepherd's voice? Number three, where do I go for security and satisfaction? Where do I go for the abundant life? So I want to leave you with those three questions. When we finish this chapter in two weeks, not next week, but two weeks, we will talk more about what it means and what it looks like to hear the good shepherd's voice and to discern that it's his voice. Amen. Well, at this time, I'm going to invite the uh, band to come back up on stage. And we all get to celebrate, as Bernard said earlier, we get to celebrate communion today. You may ask, why are we doing communion again this month? Well, our text leads us there, obviously. But also, as a staff, we have decided to do communion every Sunday throughout this fall. As your shepherds, we felt that coming out of COVID, this would help unify us as a family, as one body. Communion is a deeply unifying act. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, the cup is a participation in the blood of Christ and the bread is a participation in the body of Christ. And because there is only one loaf, we who are many are one body for we all share of the one loaf. This is Paul's understanding of the table. We are one flock with one shepherd, the good shepherd. And each one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, but the good shepherd absorbs the iniquity of us all by laying down his life for the flock. And so we come to the table today as one flock, 
full of gratitude, full of thanksgiving for our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Jesus has indeed fulfilled Psalm 23. So what I'd like to do is read Psalm 23 together, but as Jesus has fulfilled it. So the words will be up here on the screen. Let's read this together. Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jesus restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Jesus is with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord with Jesus forever. By taking communion, we acknowledge Jesus as our good shepherd who has laid down his life for us. All who are followers of Jesus are invited to the table today. Even today, if you have felt like the good shepherd is calling you to his table for the first time, you're welcome to join us. So let's have a time of silence as we prepare our hearts. And I invite you to be still for just a moment and say in your own way, speak, Lord, I am listening. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat today with thanksgiving. So taste and see that the good shepherd is indeed good. Let's eat together. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Taste and see that the good shepherd is indeed good. Let's drink together. Amen. 
Well, if you would like prayer this morning, there'll be pastors up here that would love to pray with you. Now receive this benediction from, the, from Romans 8, Paul's famous Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? For I am certain that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our good shepherd. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.